Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today, my guest is Anne Dowsett Johnston. She's the best-selling author of the book, Drink, The Intimate Relationship Between Women and Alcohol. And it was named by the Washington Post as one of the top 10 books of 2013. I remember it well because the first time I stopped drinking, in fact, the first time that I actually realized that taking an extended break from alcohol was what I needed to do was in June 2013. So Anne's book came out right after I'd made that decision. I, you know, read it really quickly. All the women I knew who were sort of on the same path were reading it too. And it gave us so much to talk about. It is part memoir, part journalistic exploration of closing the gender gap on risky drinking and looks at how the alcohol industry has been targeting women specifically to get them to drink more and more often. And at the time, it was like my eyes were open on this subject for the first time. 
Anne is now a psychotherapist. She provides trauma-informed relational care to clients with a focus on women in recovery. Anne works from a holistic perspective, using the principles of focusing-oriented psychotherapy to bring awareness and compassion to the mind-body connection. So let's dive in. I gave a quick introduction to your book, Drink, and it was such an eye-opener for me. But why don't you tell me a little bit about what you learned from that book and also how it informs the work you're doing now? Oh, that's that's a great question. I learned a lot um, in writing that book. And what I learned was that it was one thing to be a journalist and a writer and be eager to write what was to become a best-selling book. But what I didn't come to terms with, and it was difficult, was how hard it is to tell our stories out loud, to recover out loud. The stigma is still so large against women in drinking. And back in 2013, when my book came out, it was even larger. I'm the daughter of a beautiful woman who became an alcoholic in the 1960s, who was cross-addicted to Valium and cocktails, a stay-at-home mom who, like many, was prescribed Valium and really lost many decades of her life to alcohol. We weren't allowed to talk about it. So I was the eldest daughter, and it was a, a, a secret, but not a secret. And so my intention of writing the book was to take a look at women like myself, a professional woman who got into trouble, who looked very different from my mom, but who indeed got into trouble with alcohol, even though I rose very high on the corporate ladder. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting because I know when I read your book, I and I listened to you on the Bubble Hour podcast. I think I was I was walking around my neighborhood just trying to figure this whole drinking thing out and heard your story, your story, not only your research, but the combination of the two. And you were extremely successful. You were a vice president at a university. You um, you know, were working in that high pressure corporate world. And yet you were struggling with alcohol. And I think that's so common and something that most people don't talk about. Yes, I think that the biggest part of this story, and I remember speaking to my publisher about this chapter, is self-medication. Whether we're self-medicating anxiety or depression or loneliness. In my case, I would say it was a combination of loneliness. My son had just gone off to university, and I was really suffering from empty nest syndrome, and I suffered from a terrible depression in menopause. And those two things together really made me suffer. I I was working exceedingly long hours as vice president of McGill University, and I was working late into the night every night and finding myself isolated from those I loved. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, as a psychotherapist, I know you deal with sort of clinically diagnosed conditions of anxiety and depression. How does that show up in that setting? And then also just we are feeling anxious and therefore we drink and it just sort of perpetuates itself. Oh, you mentioned that cycle that's so key, which is you feel lonely, you feel down, you have a drink, it numbs, 
you wake up the next morning, you say, I'll never do that again. It comes around to five or six o'clock and indeed you do it again. And we feel shame. We feel remorse. We feel negative about ourselves. I think I'm seeing a lot of women who don't want to quit are absolutely determined that they will not quit, but want to learn how to manage their drinking, as we all did. I did, too. I went to AA back in the day, determined to learn how to have just one. It took me a little while to realize that I was there to to quit. But it's a very complex world for women, only more complex given COVID. I think I was raised in that glorious, glorious Steinem time when we believed we could have it all. And I think that I learned and many other women have learned that having it all is very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Because there are only so many hours in the day. And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves. And I know you did as well to be the best employee, the best partner, the best mother. And then you know, I think of it in my life as you put so much on yourself that then you need to drink to tolerate your responsibilities and your overwhelm. You know, as we know now, alcohol is just like putting gasoline on anxiety, right? You think it solves it, but it actually makes it so much worse. Oh, that's so well said. And of course, alcohol is not is a depressant. So, you know, I remember racing in, this was the thing I really felt when I wrote the book, racing in from a busy job, having to put dinner on the table for my wonderful young son, knowing I would be working on homework later that evening. And, you know, I got to the point where I wouldn't even take my coat off. I'd grab a bottle of wine and the vegetables that had to be paired and stand at the cutting board with a glass of wine to unwind. And for years, it was very manageable. And then it was not manageable after he was gone. And it was funny, I was walking through London, England, one beautiful night when I was doing research on this book. And it was that time of night when people haven't yet closed their shades. And I could see house after house where women were standing by their kitchen tables or counters and they all were pouring a glass of wine. It was this little, it was in Chelsea, and it was just this little montage of homes. And I remember thinking, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. It isn't just me. And so when I wrote Drink, back to your earlier question, the sentence that came out of that book was, it's the modern woman's steroid enabling her to do everything she has to do or tries to do. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. I have to say, I'm in a morning women's workout group, and I absolutely adore these women. And they're wonderful. And yet, yesterday, we were, you know, we're on a string, and people were talking about homeschooling. And they posted, someone posted, a meme or a video for an umbrella, the booze umbrella, where you could, in the ad, pour nine ounces of vodka into an umbrella and, you know drink from it. And, you know, people were laughing, where can I buy it? X, Y, Z. They all know I don't drink. Clearly, I'm like, quote, unquote, out. But so I I had just gotten this 
shirt uh, that I took a picture in that's called, you know, teetotaler, which I love. And so I put, I was like, in other news, here's my new shirt, just to be like, not everyone is drinking out of their umbrella or thinks that's a fabulous idea as a way to get through the first day of homeschool. But I also was like, it's August and sunny. I'm not sure why we'd need a booze umbrella. But on the other hand, you know, you're at home. Why not? You know, if it's if it's not a problem, why not just get a glass of wine? Like, why are you putting it in your umbrella? And it was totally a joke. And um, I was not shaming anyone, but I was like, this is sort of weird that this seems to be like, you know, so much in popular culture that all these working women who are super smart with great kids who are incredible, you know, women. And I would say that most of them in no way have a drinking problem, but that this is the kind of thing that is out there when you talk about the pinking of the alcohol industry. And it just perpetuates that if you have a bottle of wine a night, it's pretty normal. Like they're selling, you know, vodka umbrellas for you to take it out, you know, in the world with you. So nobody knows that you're just getting loaded. You know, it's just, it's everywhere. And therefore you start to think this is no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. And there were, I remember a meme from the beginning of COVID where a mother opened her trunk with three cases of alcohol saying, the kids are home for three weeks. This is what I need. We live in an alcogenic society. It's surround sound messaging that this is how you get through whatever it is you have to get through. And I wrote an opinion piece recently in Canada's national newspaper on the fact that alcohol stores were considered essential services and weren't closed down. And the sales of alcohol are through the roof. And someone wrote back and said, yes, but people haven't been going to restaurants. I think what's really curious is that as a child of an alcoholic, that children are exposed right now, houses are full of alcohol and children are exposed. And the messaging is questionable. And I'm not a prohibitionist, not at all. Yeah. But the messaging is, uh, mommy needs this to get through living with you. Yeah. Well, even Trader Joe's right now, I believe one of their big sort of, you know, positioning by the door is their cases of wine. And above it, it has sort of the red ring of the bottom of the wine glass. And it says school supplies right here. (laughs) And so one of my friends who has five kids who quit drinking, she actually wrote um, highlight reel. Emily Paulson was like, I'll stand here while you explain this to your children, what this means. And, you know, I am not judging because I was the queen of like the mommy playdates. I bought all the books like sippy cups are not for Chardonnay and all those things. I had completely bought in, but it's not until you step away from it that you're like, no wonder women think that drinking is required to get through a stressful day. Because literally you go into the grocery store and the message is you need a case of wine to get through virtual school. Right. Like, so pick it up as soon as you get your cart in the door. And we just perpetuate that to each other. And so the reason I wanted to have you on, not only because your book, you know, went into this in such incredible depth, which I absolutely loved and, you know, looked at, I know in the seven years since it's been published, it's only gotten more blatant and subtle, right? The two, but also the, you know, the work you're doing around how women are using alcohol to self-medicate 
for anxiety and depression. I know that that I did that for a very long time and I actually couldn't even separate. I blamed myself for how I felt, for the anxiety, for the inability to cope. And it actually wasn't until I quit drinking that I, you know, was going to a therapist and and doing all the things and realized that, oh, actually I do have, you know, some clinical anxiety, depression mix that is not my fault and that I could never get help for when I was drinking a bottle a night. Yes, that's such a good point. The untangling of where does one begin and the other and et cetera. I mean, they're so intertwined and I couldn't make sense of my own situation. In fact, I went to rehab in the United States specifically to find um, an answer to my depression and concurrent disorder. And in fact, exactly the same as you, when I got sober, was able to follow the path of getting help for what was depression. And I think a lot of women that I see, I have been um, working with women who suffer deeply from anxiety, deeply from depression, and a lot of um, shame around the issue, or both issues. Yeah. Well, so tell me about that. How does that show up? And how, what does your work with them look like? I am launched, as you know, just recently as uh, a new psychotherapist. I have been um, in training for three years. So I have a client base of about 20 um, people at this point with a waiting list. I have really noticed weepiness, a fatigue, and what I would call a not groundedness in the body. I think women are suffering from lack of self-care and lack of time for themselves, which is why I smile when I hear of your morning um, habits. Very good but suffering from a lack of self-care. And I think that people won't know about focusing, but focusing is a wonderful practice, not unlike mindfulness, that we use in therapy to ground oneself. And the notion is that your body actually has a lot of wisdom. Your body, if you sit quietly, feet on the ground, eyes closed, go into the body, in other words, not from the top down, but the bottom up, will know, will have a lot of wisdom about where your life needs to go. And my work as a therapist is to draw that out of you, help you ground yourself in your body and begin to produce habits of self-care, begin to listen to your intuition, begin to make room in a busy world for yourself. I love that, making room for yourself. That's That's a wonderful way to put it. How do you, you mentioned that a lot of the women who come to you, you know, want to figure out how to moderate their drinking. I mean, I know I did for the long, there is not a woman in this world, (laughs) I think, who loved to drink, who decided to stop that didn't literally try every which way to not actually give it up, right? You want that third door, you create the rules, you want, you know, you literally want to figure out how to handle it. And it's not until you actually stop for a period of time that you realize how much harder you are making it on yourself trying to hold on so tightly for so long. But you're working with women who want to deal with anxiety and depression. 
And some of them don't want to hear that they, the easiest and best step or the first step to dealing with that is to actually put down the wine glass. Right. How do you work with women through that process? Such a great, such a great question. And um, reminds me that the first title for the book drink was called the drinking diaries, because for years I kept a drinking diary and I would make different rules and the rules would be, and we all know them. I won't drink during the week. I won't drink before six o'clock, et cetera. So what I do with women is I ask them two fundamental questions. Are you drinking to numb? Are you drinking to be someone other than you are? If they say yes, then we begin to do a drinking diary, which is literally to really know themselves about can they decide to have one drink or two drinks that evening and keep the promise? Usually the answer is no. Usually it ends up as abstinence um, because when a person is confounding the issue with drinking, as we just talked about, it's really difficult to sort out what is behind all that. And frankly, I deal with clients with such rich issues, issues, everything from racism to grief around parents dying to uh, difficulty at work. I mean, you name it, it seems that I'm dealing with it. Younger clients individuating from parents, older clients individuating from, you know, family members. It's just a confounding issue, isn't it? Alcohol is a confounding issue and it makes things messy and it's progressive in terms of its problems. And the interesting question I've had to ask myself, I'm calling myself the recovery therapist, but the interesting question is, will I work with people in really active addiction? I would like preferably that people have a little bit of sobriety under their belt so that they can actually dig into their problems and know themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, you know that I work with women who have decided that moderating isn't working for them and that they've tried to stop drinking and are not being successful on their own. Mm. So almost every woman I work with is coming to me in early sobriety. And our our mutual goal is to get them to a hundred days and beyond so that they can have, you know, have me hold their hand and work through the triggers, the cravings, how to talk to people, how to change some of their beliefs and their knee-jerk patterns around reaching for a bottle of wine when they're happy, sad, lonely. But the reason I do that is because I really believe that you can't do the work, do the coaching when you're in the drinking cycle, right? If you are getting four days and drinking again, or getting seven days and drinking again, your thoughts and your body and your your every piece of you is recovering from drinking, trying not to drink, wanting to drink, and again, the same thing. And so you don't get the distance to actually deal with the stuff underneath, whether it's codependency or grief or racism or, you know, anxiety, um, all those things like you talked about. So I think you're right in that I went to therapy for years when I was drinking. You know, my father died, my grandfather, I mean, big stuff happened that, you know, my dad got pancreatic cancer and said he had, you know, he was told he had six months to live when I was 22. I mean, these are big things. And yet... I didn't talk about my drinking, right? I was like, oh no, I'm feeling 
anxious and upset because my dad has a diagnosis. And let me process this grief while drinking a bottle of wine at night and coming to you once a week. Like it just doesn't work. And so it wasn't until I stopped drinking and worked with a really talented therapist like you that I was able to be like, okay, A, I've taken out my numbing thing and yet all these feelings are coming back. How do I deal with them without going back to this really maladaptive coping strategy that that clearly has not worked for me? Oh, maladaptive. What a great word. Uh, it is, I'm sorry, very sorry about your father. And it is, I think, a very common uh, reality that we turn to alcohol in grief and then it confounds us. I welcome uh, hearing about your practice and your coaching because that's where I stand right now, building a practice myself. And also, I'm really curious and interested in women who want to tell their stories. So I'm starting something called Writing Your Recovery, uh, which is something I know you know about because I started with a talk at She Recovers in New York a few years ago. And I'm thinking that when women bring their stories to this group, we will hear a lot about anxiety and depression. We will hear a lot about what was numbed um, and the journey that is all too common. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I loved hearing. So before we got on this podcast, I had talked with Anne and told her that when I was, I mean, four or five months um, sober, my last and final time, so it was about four years ago, I had seen the She Recovers New York conference streaming. I, I wasn't ready to fly to New York and be with 500 women who had quit drinking, but I watched Anne's talk about telling your story, writing your story, and it was wonderful. And I think that I'm really excited for your workshop and your course because I think that regardless of whether you want to write a book or not, and you have a story to tell, and actually by just writing it, you get to process it and you get to, in the same way that you do in therapy, right? You get to look back and for the first time say, oh yeah, this happened and that happened. And it's not just that I am weak and have no self-control and no discipline and you know need to get my shit together. It's that I am coping with trauma, big or small, I am coping with insecurity, anxiety, and I used this, you know, widely prescribed by friends and family in the marketing business, alcohol and highly addictive substance to quiet my mind. And here's what has happened. And here's where I am now. I think it's so uplifting. Yes, I, you know, I spent upwards of 30 years as a journalist and an editor. And I love working with writers. And I love that process of taking your own path apart with jewelers, tweezers, seeing where, you know, where did, where did this connect to that? And uh, pulling apart the story you may have absorbed or told yourself and getting to the real story, getting to the real crux of the story, which is something that we can do when we recover. We can actually look back and, and see 
parts of the journey, I, for instance, see a part of my journey where I was a little girl and moved to Africa and didn't speak the language and was at school in Afrikaans and had a very difficult time and was bullied. Those, I think, moments in our lives often we find repeating later, we can connect the dots. And writing is so beautiful that way. You can, well, storytelling is is my life. So. Oh my God. I don't think we've talked about this and it's a little bit off topic, but my parents also, well, they were foreign service officers and I also moved to Africa when I was three to five years old in Mozambique in Southern Africa, and then eight to 10 years old in Zambia in Southern Africa. And my dad was ambassador in Namibia when I well opened the new American embassy there when they got independence from South Africa when I was in high school. So I hear you on moving at a very young age to a completely different culture. Wow. And it should be exciting. And yet it is hard. You know, my parents were very busy, different than yours, but also unavailable because their work was the most important things in their lives. And you're kind of thrown in to just survive on your own at five years old and eight years old. And it it is different. Um, so I I just remembered that that part of your story was was so incre- it hits home so closely for me. There you go. There's an amazing thing we share, an amazing story that you don't know what part of your innards later responded to loss, later responded to whatever with alcohol. I mean, I think we yeah. I think we need to, but that's amazing story. I can't believe I didn't mention it earlier. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and so when you talked at the She Recovers with the speaking event about writing your story, and I know your course is going to take women through this, but you talked about starting with the event, right? The you know, what is the moment that you start your story with? And and I think it'll help women just to even as they're thinking about quitting drinking or have quit drinking, like where do you start in processing this when you're ready? So tell me about that starting point when you're writing your story. Right. I think that there's a classic of starting at your bottom. So if you think of Carolyn Knapp's drinking a love story, starts at the bottom. She's got two children on her body playing piggyback and she falls her, you know, So I started mine with alcohol as a lover who's courting me and really my bottom. I got to my attempting a geographical cure that didn't work out. I would like to see, to encourage writers and would-be writers to look for this kind of story you and I were just talking about, which is what was it like to be eight years old and in Mozambique or part of Africa and not able to connect with others? What is that sense of dislocation that actually makes you seek soothing and later leads to alcohol? So I think that there's so many beautiful ways to come at this. And what is so exciting for me, I'm opening up a new section of writing your recovery because the first filled up um, in 24 hours internationally. We have a woman from Ireland, a woman from the Netherlands, um, several from the United States. And so it's, it's exciting. And I think it shows the hunger 
for my agent said, please tell them they're not all going to get published. But I don't think that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first things I do as a therapist is I say, are you beginning with a journal? Because I believe half an hour of a journal every morning allows us to begin to take apart our own story, begins to ground us, and don't edit. Don't be self-critical. Just let whatever comes show up for your own lovely sense of being fresh and fresh from your dream world. Use your dreams. Use whatever you have. And that's the kind of client I want to work with is one that's willing to do the work on their part and, and show up with me to me with rich backgrounds. Yeah. And every woman who drinks or has some other way of, of numbing out. And I actually would say any woman who somehow gets to through childhood and young adulthood and working and children and marriage has a story to tell, right? There is a reason that, you know, every single one of us goes through all of these moments of trying to become ourselves. And especially for women who stop drinking, you are forced when you do that to dig deep, to actually look beyond your surface triggers, work, spouse, home, friendships, overwhelm, responsibilities, you know, disappointments to what's underneath that because there's always things below. So I feel like what you're doing in terms of helping women go through that and untangle it, I think you said, which I absolutely love, helps them gain clarity and also forgiveness, right? Right understanding compassion for themselves, forgiveness. And one of the things that I love, and I have no, I'm not surprised at all that your course filled up in 24 hours is, you know, I'm a part of the She Recovers group and soon will be a She Recovers coach. And I did go to AA for the first four months. I am in no way an expert, but did attend sort of five days a week. Um, The first time I tried to quit drinking, it wasn't my path eventually. But what I love about She Recovers is their guiding principle after you do all this. And when we're ready, we share our story so that other women may find our movement and and find recovery. And I think that as opposed to the idea of anonymity, which is so crucial in feeling safe to do the work, and I know women do it with you in private practice and me with private coaching, If you are ready, if you feel brave and um, just open, if you're, if you do work through that shame by telling your story, either by writing or by speaking about it, you give hope to other women that they are not alone. They are not uniquely damaged. They are not bad people. They are simply caught in a cycle that so many other women are caught in. So even if they don't get published just by sharing their story in written form or any form, you never know who you're going to help and who you're going to touch. And I know you, Anne, helped so many women with your book and your podcast appearances. I know you helped me. Thank you. What a lovely thing to say. And I'm such a fan of She Recovers. I'm such a fan of recovering out loud. I'm such a fan of the alternatives that we, I mean, let's just say it. We're living in a revolution, in the middle of a revolution where we're not in church basements, where there are alternatives. There was a time when it was women in sobriety and Stephanie Covington's book, 
a woman's guide to the 12 steps, which were really pioneering in terms of showing a different way than AA. But I think that we're living in a time when you can choose the Tempest, you can choose Laura's alternative, you can choose Tommy Rosen, you can choose She Recovers, and we're all really out there. And I think that this is a movement. Mm-hmm. It's an- Absolutely. And one of the things I loved was, you know, I know when I was, um, I think I was 32, my son was six months, eight months old. I was, of course, sort of vaguely quietly worried about my drinking, but then then convincing myself it was no big deal. And um, I had bought these books by Stephanie Wilder Taylor, who was a comedian and a writer, and she had written books like Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay and Nap Time is the New Happy Hour. And I bought them and loved them. And then I was downstairs at my office grabbing coffee and a newspaper was there. And on the front cover was an article that says, you know, Queen of Mommy Happy Hour, whatever it was, sobers up. And she had released a blog post about how she had quit drinking. And she had been sort of the proponent of, you know, embracing and celebrating drinking. And I remember going back to my desk, finding it online and literally cutting and pasting that article into a Word doc. And it took me six more years before I actually tried to quit drinking and, you know, eight or nine before I finally quit. And yet that article, that moment, grabbing my coffee, seeing the headline in, you know, whether it was USA Today or New York Times, like that was it. That was, oh my gosh. And I devoured her blog. And she used to have this blog, you know, this was many years ago. Obviously it was like 13 years ago, don't get drunk Fridays. And, you know, it was, it. so what you're doing, what all these women are doing, the women you're helping write their story, like it's going to have exponential touch points with other women who have been brainwashed to think that they need to drink more and more often and that the you know booze umbrella is a fabulous funny idea that maybe they want to order from Amazon okay nobody listening to this go to Amazon and order that i would be terrified and appalled <laughs> that this suggests it's a it's a bad idea but um but yeah it's going to encourage them to just be like oh my god this woman who is just like me says it's better and i'm going to trust her That's right. I mean, I have to laugh for a minute because it was in the New York Times. I too clipped the article. I Oh my God. I was I put it in my book. I was newly sober and I thought, here is the queen of of mummy drinking, giving up alcohol just as I give up alcohol. So it was a big deal when she did this. She went on ABC News. It was a huge deal. And it tells you how much, I mean, the umbrella aside, (laughs) it tells you how much, um, and I was part of her her Friday night group. Um, it, It tells you how much things have changed and are changing. And I think that we are... I hope in a different time. I will say that there are members of my former AA group that still won't speak to me. And that's hurtful. Yeah. Because you're sharing your story, because you're recovering out loud. That's right. Because you're not anon- anonymous, right? That's right. That's right. So we're, we're in a, a, a really pivotal time. 
a fork in the road where I think a whole group of us, and congratulations on becoming a She Recovers coach. That's excellent. A whole group of us are saying you can do it differently and you can do it without whispering. Yeah. And it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, I know you and I are very proud of quitting drinking, of giving up this really difficult coping mechanism and realizing that you're stronger and that you can heal. And I feel like other women should be too, but you know, you have to first do the work of, you know, working with someone like you, working with a coach, um, going through AA, whatever program helps you stop drinking to heal and get out of the cycle and learn to trust yourself again and, you know, show up for yourself. And then when you're ready and you don't have to, but if you decide to sort of write your recovery, share your recovery, you know, in AA and in the groups, you know, it is, you know, share your, your inspiration, you know, what, how it was, what happened and what it's like now, your hope, strength and experience. It's all similar. It is all similar. And I think that there are many in new recovery who still gain a lot from AA for sure. Um, But I will use my own story as an example. I needed an addiction coach, exactly the kind of person you're talking about being, a person who talked about triggers, a person who talked about cravings, a person who would help me navigate my first New Year's and my first birthday and my first wedding and funeral. And all of these things are part of the journey. And I think that I look forward to being that person for others. You already are. <laughs> you absolutely already are. Yeah. And I, I didn't know you worked with an addiction coach. I also worked with a coach. And that was what helped me as well, because I needed someone who, you know, not only said, you need to not drink and you need to confront all the things you've done and remember your bottom. Like, I needed someone to like, hey, my husband got promoted and we we're going out to a friend, a fancy restaurant with a couple friends how do I not drink? I am six weeks in. Like, you know, literally, what do I order? How do I wrap my head around this? What do I say to them? How do I look at them drinking without like, you know, breaking out crying? (laughs) You know, that's what I needed. Um, You know, and going to a meeting doesn't always help you get through that. No, it absolutely doesn't. And I think my serenity sisters, what I call my serenity sisters, who are a group of women who have been beside me in my recovery, are who I turn to, who I turn to. And I feel very blessed and very fortunate. And I think we all, She Recovers is so remarkable because it is just that, the hands intertwined and the sense of companionship and not being alone. I also think that the other things that we use to numb, be it shopping, be it food, be it God knows, are things where we can use sisterhood, we can use some support. I think a lot of us probably listening to you know that this isn't a one-shot deal, that sometimes drinking isn't our only problem. And so I think that's the other great thing about She Recovers, that it it looks at, you know, we're all recovering from something. 
Yeah. And we will absolutely in the show notes of this episode link to She Recovers and, you know, the founders of that, Don Nickel and Taryn Strong are are incredible and amazing. And um, I actually interviewed Taryn on her work in yoga for recovery um, and essential oils for healing on an earlier episode. The other thing I would say, and I, I would love you to talk about this, is a lot of people, you know, think that when they're listening to this, like, how did you just stop? And it's not one thing, right? It is adding layers of support. I know when I finally stopped, I hired a coach, but I also was a member of a secret Facebook group, um, the Booze Free Brigade, that I think Stephanie Wilder-Taylor originally started. And that's how I found it through her Don't Get Drunk Fridays. I mean, this was years ago and in 2013. Um, I also you know, once I had stopped, um, I 60 days in did hip sobriety school, which is now the Tempest, which is an online eight week course where I found more people like me and more information. I of course read your book. I read other books, you know, what I call Quitlet. And, um, I also went to my general practitioner doctor and I got some medication four months in for anxiety. And I started seeing a therapist weekly and worked out. And all that is to say is that this is hard and it's not the one thing, right? You know, women who work with me as a coach, and I'm sure women who work with you writing their memoir and working with you as a psychotherapist, you know, I encourage people like, if you want to work with me and go to AA, great. If you want to work with me and see therapy, do it. You know, Anything that helps you work through all this stuff is positive. And if you can't stop drinking and you want to, it doesn't mean you won't. It just means you don't have enough support yet. Ah, I love your saying yet. I think you're so right. And I think part of the problem, forgive me, with AA is the notion that it has to be everything. And I had someone very early on saying, don't read any other literature, only read AA-approved literature. And I'm a writer and an, a hungry person for reading, and that doesn't work. So I'll give you an example. Right now, I have a fitness coach. I have a um, course writing coach. I have uh, a food coach. I have a therapist. I have my serenity sister, and I believe that I'm making up for lost time in terms of all the years that I worked very hard and didn't have any of that support. So I'm all for it. I'm all for whatever group support or sort of support you can get. Bring it all on. Um, Someone, another journalist talked to me today and said, yes, but isn't it all expensive? No, as you said, it isn't all expensive. There are Facebook groups that are essential to me. There are companionship options that are essential to me. I think that one can find one's way and needs to. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I always think of it, it, people cringe, but a heat-seeking missile. Go to the bookstore and or the library and get what you need, right? Find the, yeah. find the friends that support you. This is a critical, critical thing to recover from. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said that people are like, isn't that expensive? Because, you know, I know some people listen to this podcast and they're like, well, you don't understand. I don't have your income. I don't have your support. And I completely get that. You know, I can't afford a coach. And yeah, this is, you know, private sport is expensive, but I started, I started with free, the free Facebook group. There are so many blogs, just incredible blogs and podcasts out there that offer all of this support. I have a free guide on my site that's like the Sober Girl's Guide to Quitting Drinking. It's 30 pages of all the tips and tricks and advice I give to my private coaching clients. And, you know, I will link to it, but that is free. And books, you know, your book, other books. I also did an episode on the best quitlet for women. And it is. I mean, you can recover just with this stuff. So you can do all the great things. And and I love that. You also can do it without spending. There is so much out there to help you wrap your head around this. And not only that, but like, look at the money you're spending drinking. I know when I quit drinking, I had an app I loved that tracked dollar dollars saved. And within the first month, I saved $550 not ingesting and buying 40 bottles of wine, which is crazy. But that was the truth. And now four and a half years in, I I love my app. I've saved $30,000. I love it. I mean, it's insane. So drinking is expensive. And getting support does not have to be. But I do believe in reinvesting that money that you were spending poisoning yourself and exacerbating your anxiety and pushing everything down to heal from it. I mean, you're gaining life skills that you're going to take with you and pass down to your kids. Yes, I I think that's brilliant. Um, I'll give you an example, a brilliant in the sense that you know how much money you saved. I'll give you an example. I don't own a cottage, but my ex-husband does, and he and I are best friends. So next week, instead of doing a retreat somewhere, which would be costly, my serenity sister, my closest friend in sobriety, and I are taking three days together. We're bringing all our favorite books. We're bringing our journals. We're bringing our yoga mats. We will hike, and we are taking those days alone to make a retreat. We also every day, and I can't say enough about this, every day for 12 years have sent each other a gratitude list, which is five things that we, and you can't repeat, five things that we are grateful for every day of the week. And it really does have a huge effect on my outlook of life to start my morning that way. It sounds a little corny, Holly Whitaker. It's not corny. <laughs> I love it. Holly Whitaker once heard about it and said it made her feel like gagging. But I have to, <laughs> I have to say it is a very positive part of my morning before I get to my journal every day. Yeah, I think that's great. And when I also was in the early days, and I do it now, I have to say I don't do it every day. I was a part of, again, a free gratitude group that I found with five other women through the booze free brigade. And we posted what we were grateful for. I also have a gratitude jar that I used to write down every day. You're reminding me I need to do it again. It's sort of just knee jerk right now what I was grateful for. And my kids saw it. And I remember my my son would come down and he'd be like, oh, are you writing your gratitude list? And I was like, yeah. 
And it was just to post it. I wrote it down super quick. And a lot of times it was coffee and a good night's sleep and, you know, seeing a girlfriend or, you know, things like that. But also like grateful my husband did the dishes, grateful that my daughter told me she loved me. But sometimes my son would come down early mornings and I'd, I'd say, oh, you're on my list today. And he would say why. And I'd tell him and it just, you know, that stuff makes an impact. That's a present mother. And that is, and that is a gift of sobriety because I'll tell you in a, in a home where there's a lot of alcohol, that doesn't happen. In fact, the mother often isn't awake. It's children making breakfast for themselves. And, you know, this is really amazing. The daily experiences that we can have when we make the changes we're talking about. You've made me a little emotional. Oh, I, well, and I think too, just, I mean, my parents were not heavy, heavy drinkers. They weren't, but there was a bottle of wine on the dinner table every night. I mean, and I just thought that was normal. Every party was, you know, the revelry, the voices, the glasses clinking, you know, they were in the foreign service, they were diplomats, there were a lot of events at our house, you know, hosting people. And I thought that was the best thing ever. And I still love the sound of the talking and the the just filled with conversations and laughter. But I didn't realize before that that could happen without drinking. And I actually really feel grateful that my kids don't think mommy drinking a bottle of wine a night is required or normal. You know, I have no doubt that they will drink. Uh, my husband still drinks beer. He's a what we call a normie. <laughs> um, but it's not required. And first, they know for some, you know, for mom, it wasn't healthy, and that you don't have to drink. And so it's, you know, I just think that's changing patterns. Because if I had kept drinking, certainly my daughter would think that what you do at 6pm is order, open a bottle of wine, and keep drinking it until you go to bed. That would just be what she knew. That's right. That's right. And it's an amazing legacy to leave. for your children and and one that we really have to think about the modeling and the modeling in terms of what happens when young people go to college and the modeling of what happens to young women in terms of playing drinking games and the story goes on and on oh yeah and I was the queen of that absolutely Oh my God, I was on the women's rugby team in college and like it was, you know, a shot a minute for an hour. Like it it was not healthy and yet, you know, it was fun. I don't remember all of it, but, uh, but yeah. And I think that if either one of my kids wants to play rugby, I mean, I adored it, but I would be like, nope, (laughs) I would really discourage them because it is a breeding ground for problematic drinking um, and thinking it is normal. But I love this conversation. I love the conversation about recovering out loud, about using uh, psychotherapy and doing the work to dig into your story, what's underneath your story, understanding it, forgiving yourself, having compassion for yourself. So I know your first course filled up in 24 hours, but if women want to work with you, learn more about what you do, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? The best way is to go to my website, which is com. That website, as of 
this week is changing format. So if you go to it now, it looks like I am still a journalist and in school. Not true, but my website is being reborn. So andosatjohnson.com, there's a place to contact me. And I would love to have you in my course, whoever you are listening. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to talk to you. And I really appreciate you coming on. I loved being with you. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.